This is LifeSpeak, a podcast about well-being, mental health, and building resilience through knowledge. Here's Marianne Weisenthal. So I'm talking today with Dr. Joshua Coleman. He's a psychologist and a senior fellow with the Council on uh, Contemporary Families. He's a psychologist with a private practice in the San Francisco Bay Area, and he's also the author of four books, including When Parents Hurt, Compassionate Strategies When You and Your Grown Child Don't Get Along. His latest book, which is coming out soon, is called Rules of Estrangement, Why Adult Children Cut Ties and How to Heal the Conflict. I'm going to read a quote from this from your book. Understanding how to manage the pain of estrangement is one of the greatest challenges most parents will ever face. And that's because estrangement strikes us at our most tender and primitive places. Being a good parent is central to our identities and self-esteem. Being told directly or indirectly that you're not a good parent by your own children creates profound feelings of fear, sadness, worry, rage, guilt, and regret. Dr. Coleman is joining me today from the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So we're talking today about something that I think, you know, it's, it's not widely discussed. I mean, it is for you, but it's not widely discussed among most people. And that's, you know, adult children who are estranged from their parents by, by choice. What, what exactly is parental estrangement and why does it happen? Well, um, it's defined in a variety of, of ways. Um, the general way that I think of it is a complete severing of a relationship between a parent and adult child. And within that, you know, there can be, there are people in my, parents in my practice whose adult children are primarily out of contact, but maybe they'll get a birthday card or text once a year or something like that. To me, that's, I would also consider that. Um, a stranger, or they very, very rarely are in contact with their with their adult children, or the rare amount of contact that they have is filled with with conflict and and, and that kind of thing. So um, that's how I would define it. There there are a number of different reasons why an adult child would cut off contact with parent with a with a parent. From the adult child's perspective, the mo- one of the most common reasons is a difference uh, in values, meaning where the adult child feels like the parent isn't aligned with them. Say if, if a parent is critical of their sexuality or who they married or their religious choices, or sometimes it's a matter of a, a, a personality incompatibility, uh, but also high in terms of from the adult child's perspective is a history of physical or emotional abuse. So those are some of the most common, mo- most common reasons. And interestingly, in terms of the research the adult child's perspective, they'll often say that the issue is something in the parents, that the parent's personality, some trait in them that they're toxic or they're narcissistic or that kind of thing. Uh, Whereas when parents explain, they try to reason with why the adult child cut off contact, they'll often say, well, they they cut off contact because uh, of who they married or because of my divorce or something like that. And so the understanding of the reasons for estrangement are very, very different from parent to the estranged adult child. Now, you you speak about this in the book that you have experienced being estranged from your own child firsthand. Can you tell us a little bit about that? You know, fortunately, we're, we're now reconciled. But when my daughter was in her early 20s, she cut off contact with me for several years. And that was easily the most 
painful, awful experience I've ever been through or would hope to ever go through again. And, you know, like, like many parents, it was in some ways a fallout of, of divorce and my remarriage, remarriage or feeling in many ways displaced by my second family. So uh, at the time, there was nothing written to guide me. The advice that I got, the counseling I sought really made things worse um, rather than better. So I kind of had, uh, was kind of on my own to try to find a way to, to, to reach back to her um, and solve this enormous gulf between us um, and really found that the only thing that, that worked was showing empathy, taking responsibility, seeing it from her perspective, not explaining uh, you know, my what I was thinking at the time, just really making it a mission of responsibility taking and empathy taking. And that really has become the core of my my method for parents. How, how do you think that this, this personal experience um, with your own daughter has had an impact in the way that you work with clients and patients? I think it's, it's affected it profoundly. You know, I, as a psychologist, I don't believe that psychologists have to have personal experience to help our clientele. Uh, but this is one of those areas where I kind of think that you do, in part because it's, it's what the point that you raised at the beginning of the podcast, that it's not really well understood. So, uh, so a lot of really good seasoned therapists can give really terrible advice because they actually don't understand all the subtle ways that this can impact the parent and all the subtle ways that the parent needs to be in communication with the adult child in ways that are sometimes counterintuitive. One, one of those is that, you know, parents can no longer demand respect or say that the adult child owes them or remind them of all the ways that they were, you know, were good or loving or, or dedicated. Um, because, you know, today an adult child, if they don't want to have a parent in their life, they don't have to have them in their lives. They, they can walk away. So I think my own personal experience with the pain of that has made me really um, much more empathic to the, all the very many subtle ways that a parent can feel hurt or rejected or ashamed or humiliated or angered or taken advantage of um, by their adult child in ways that I, I certainly didn't understand before I became estranged and don't think that most people um, in general can, can understand the texture of it unless they've been through it. So you touched a little bit about this just now. One of the biggest things that you can do to maybe try to find your way back to your adult child is through empathy. What And, and you call it a marathon. You say it's something that's going to take time and it could even take years. Um, yeah. How do parents get through this time? Like what should they be doing? Should they continue to call? Should they write letters? What, what do you typically counsel people to do when they're in this situation? Well, I think parents always, um, and and I did a survey of um, 1,621 estranged parents. One of the outcomes of the research was that uh, if parents can write a letter of amends to the adult child, that that's a really important step. And that's what I see in my practice as well, is that you have to start from a place of taking responsibility of assuming that your child is communicating something important to you that you may be blind to understanding. And you may be being accused of a bunch of things that you either don't understand or don't agree with, but you still have to start from a position 
A, of empathy, and B, of the perspective that your adult child's communicating this to you um, because they they really want it to be different or better between the two of you. So one of the most common places uh, where there's going to be a pitfall between parents and adult children is what younger generations term abusive behavior and what older generations term abusive behavior. And there was a a, a study by psychologist Nick Haslam who said that there's been a concept creep in the past three decades over what we consider or label abusive behavior. So what that means is that sometimes an adult child will say, well, you emotionally abused me or you traumatized me or you hurt me or you neglected me. And, you know, the parent who may feel like they gave their child a much better childhood than anybody ever gave them may respond defensively and say, oh, that wasn't abuse, or you're being overreactive, or you're being overly sensitive. But from the adult child's perspective, the things that they're reading or their therapist or they're talking about with their peers, that would be considered abusive behavior. So I counsel parents not to get into the right or wrongness of it. As soon as you do that, you're, you've lost um, you know, your connection to your child. It's critically important not to be defensive. If you don't see it the way that your adult child sees it, you're far better off saying, it's clear that I have blind spots and how that impacted you. I wasn't aware that that was as hurtful or is as hurtful to you as it is, but I'm committed to changing and to being different um, in order for us to be in relationship with each other. Because typically it's the you know, and the research bears this out as well. When an estrangement occurs, most of, most of the time it's the adult child who initiates it. It's not the parent. You talk about the changing definitions of what makes a good childhood and how more than ever, you know, children are setting the terms of family life. How, how is that happening? And how has that happened over time? Well, in, in some ways, you know, it's my, I mean, I'm a, a boomer parent. So I was, you know, raised in the, 50s and 60s. And um, so it's, you know, in some ways it's our generation's fault uh, because we, uh, the first, well, actually the parenting, the change in parenting really began in the 1960s where um, um, there began to be a much more of a concern about the coercive effects of authority. So de- houses became much more democratic. Children moved from being uh, uh, seen and not heard in prior generations to really being the central focus of family life, uh, psychology, self-help, the internet, uh, all of these things really amplified the uh, inner life of the child, which in many ways has been a really good thing. I think today's parents are far more sensitive. They're far more psychological in terms of what's harmful. They're, they're you know, the, the, the good news about the way that parenting has changed is the majority of uh, families, at least in the, in the U.S., I suspect in Canada as well, are described feeling closer to their adult children than than in prior generations. Um, but not all, given given um, how many parents we also see estranged. So, so what all this means is that the the voice of the child has been really amplified. The power of the child has been amplified because now estrangement, unlike prior generations, is considered um, in many ways an act of existential courage. It's tied to powerful individualist narratives of you know deciding who to have in and out of your your life. So it, it can have powerful resonance. Uh, if you're in cultures where individualism is a key part um, of the culture. 
there also seems to be this sense, and you talk about this in the book of, you know, parents are aspiring to have their kid as their best friend Mm -hmm. and, and anything less than that, it, it sometimes it seems is a failure and there's a lot of pressure on parents now to sort of tiptoe around and, and uh, almost be, I know the millennials are as parents are being kind of singled out for being these helicopter parents and almost being yes men to their, to their kids. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens when those kids grow up, um, where this is sort of going to go. Cause there's, as you said, you know, there's benefits to this new kind of family dynamic. And then of course there's things that are not so, so good about it. I'm interested in, in this term that you use, um, radical acceptance. Uh-huh. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, radical acceptance is the notion that if something painful is happening, I use it in regards to helping the estranged parents in my practice because they're in enormous pain. And sometimes there's nothing that they, you know, nothing more that they can do about it. You know, they, they can do all the things that I recommend, which is take responsibility, to show empathy, to show dedication, to show resilience, to write an amends letter, all those things. But that may not open the door to the adult child. Not all adults um, are willing or able to open the door even to the best of the parents' administrations. And there's a variety of reasons for that. They may be married to somebody who basically tells them, choose me or your parents. You can't have both. That's not uncommon. Sometimes a child is successfully poisoned by one parent against the other parent after a divorce, as we see in the parental alienation uh, research. Sometimes a child doesn't know any other way to feel, by child, I mean a grown child, doesn't know any other way to feel separate from the parent other than to reject them. It's sort of a way to, to have a boundary. They may feel too in danger of feeling enmeshed with the parent, too in danger of feeling kind of worried uh, by the parent um, or, or having to take too much responsibility for the parent. So from the adult child's perspective, really nothing the parent can do is going to open the door. Or they may also just feel like the parent really needs to have a longer period of time of kind of really facing the hurt that they caused the parent, the adult child, if the child was um, abused or neglected or, or that kind of thing. And so they may feel like, well, that's a nice letter, but that doesn't mean I'm going to just fling open the door. I really need to see that you've really thought this through and changed. So radical acceptance is is a kind of a cognitive or dispositional perspective when we're faced with a problem that's very painful that we have no ability to to influence in the moment. It's a way of you it's you have to say to yourself, it is what it is. I've done everything possible. It may be that my child will never speak to me again. And I am going to work to uh, have to accept that and continue to have a happy life. In um, Buddhism, there's this great concept of upekka. Um, I believe it's spelled U-P-E-K-K-H-A, I believe, uh, which, which, if I understand correctly, is the notion of serenity in the presence of, of intense pain and, and suffering. And so sometimes life creates those conditions in us. We, or those we love, are diagnosed with cancer, or we're faced with a divorce that we don't want to have, or we're suffering in some other kind of a calamity where there's nothing in, in the short term, you know, or per- perhaps ever that we can do about it. And so in general, we can't white knuckle it through life. We're actually, that increases our suffering. It increases our pain to 
to feel like I can't tolerate this. If I don't have my child or grandchildren back in my life, I, I just can't live. It isn't a good way to conduct a life. You're far better off saying, yes, this is sad and tragic. And I do feel deeply sad about it, but there's nothing else I can do about it in the moment. And so I have to accept that it is what it is and focus on the other things in my life. I think it was interesting in the book when you said, if a child actually dies, everyone feels sorry for you. But if your child stops talking to you, everyone will judge you. There's a lot of shame, uh, I think, for parents who's, who, it's not something you, they probably widely share with other people that they don't have a relationship with their child. I, uh, I have to uh, sort of admit that I'm not an unbiased reader of this book. Um, I, I, I too am estranged from a parent. So I read this with a lot of curiosity and, and probably quite a critical outlook. But I think it did really give me some perspective on maybe what, you know, parents are feeling at this time, particularly, you know, the shame aspect, which I hadn't really considered. I think mm-hmm. as a child, some children, also adult children, feel shame that they have had to feel they've had to uh, end yeah. a relationship with their parent. When I was reading it, it was almost like in some ways I felt the adult children were almost taking revenge on their parents in some way. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's an accurate word, revenge? Is that something you've seen with your own? No, I don't think I use that in the book. No, you don't, you don't use the word. It was a word that, that popped into my mind as I was reading it, that yeah. I, I was feeling like, you know, it's, it's when you do this, it's like you're, you're, you're mad at your parent for something, whatever that yeah. thing is that maybe they did in your childhood or they didn't do. And now you're not talking to them because you feel like they need to be punished in some way mm-hmm. for that. No, I often get, I don't think that that's the, the primary goal of most adult children who cut off parents is a form of revenge. And, I'll, and I say that to the parents that it may feel like their goal is to punish you, but that is not typically the goal of the adult child. The, I think that most adult children wish that it could be otherwise. And I think to your point, and the research bears this out as well, that when, typically when an adult child cuts off a parent, they, they don't do it in a flippant way. They do it after long consideration that adult children also feel a sense of shame and social isolation around it. Even if it feels punitive on the parent's part, the adult child feels like it's a necessary thing for them to do. And so what I'll commonly tell parents to say to their adult children in a letter of amends is, I know you wouldn't do this unless it was the healthiest thing for you to do. Because from the adult child's perspective, even may not feel like the healthiest thing to do from the parent's perspective, but from the adult child's perspective, it feels, you know, not only like the healthiest thing to do, but the most necessary thing um, for them to do. So I, I don't think, you know, I'm sure that there are plenty of adult children who feel, you know, mad at their parents and feel like, well, you know, then you shouldn't have done what you did kind of thing, particularly those who were really abused and mistreated. But I don't think that the primary motivation is one of revenge. What would you like adult children to to consider about what their parents might be going through? You know, you know, would you want to hand them the book <laughs> um, and say, read this? Um, because I think there's definitely a feeling that this book was written for parents mm-hmm. um, specifically. And I certainly got a different perspective uh, on my situation by reading it. What, what would you like adult children who are not having a good relationship with their parents to know? I'm really pleased 
if you did feel as a, as an estranged adult child that it, that it spoke to you as well because i don't i don't i mean i certainly want to help parents but i don't want to do it at the cost of the adult child's perspective i think that you know that both sides have a legitimate claim to the truth and that's why i think getting into right or wrong perspectives isn't isn't a very useful way to approach these problems. And I'm actually starting, hopefully, in the next month or so, a um, an organization called Standing Together with Becca Bland, who's a big name in the um, for the adult child's perspective. She's she was estranged by her parents, and she formed a, a, a charity in the UK called Stand Stand Alone UK, and it's a good organization for those who are in your audience who are estranged from an, from a parent. Um, and so we're forming an organization to help coaches and therapists and clergy to work with this population because, and we're calling it standing together because we want to represent both the both perspectives, but in in alliance, not in uh, antagonism. So, so what I would want the adult child to understand is that it's just the enormous suffering that is created by an estrangement um, from the adult child, from the parent's perspective. And if your parent isn't able to communicate in a way that's reparative or empathic or responsibility taking, I mean, ultimately it's not their, their fault where we, everybody, you know, kind of does the best that they, they can. It doesn't mean that you deserved what happened to you, but, but parents have their own traumas and their own histories that, that create their own, kinds of inadequacies that that inhibit their ability or block their ability to communicate in ways that create could create a um, a reconciliation or an understanding and so when an adult child cuts off a parent however necessary just to 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 know that um, that it, it is intensely consequential to the parent particularly if there's there's grandchildren involved. So that would be my, my main message. You're somewhat critical of some therapy mm-hmm. uh, and some therapists. And you, you, in the book, you talk about how, you know, and this is certainly the case, millennials are going into therapy at a higher rate than ever before. Mm-hmm. And that sometimes um, it's the therapy that can cause the adult children to, to pull away. Can you talk a little bit about, um, about that? Yeah. Yeah, I think that my field, well, you know, the, I mean, Americans have, the, at least North Americans have the highest rates of individualism in the world, which means that we prize um, individuality, uh, independence, autonomy, separation, really more than any other culture. And American psychotherapy is part and parcel of that, that effort. And so I think what that means is that from my perspective, in the same way that I think a lot of therapists are too bland about supporting a divorce, I think a lot of therapists in the United States are too bland about supporting an estrangement without really encouraging the um, the members to do due diligence. So that can work on the other other side as well. I also think that therapists are too eager to support the parent in being dismissive of the adult child's gripes and, and too preoccupied with whether the adult, you know, how the adult child is communicating and that they're being disrespectful or not ungrateful or, or whatever, which I think is equally problematic. Um, so I think that um, the therapists who aren't sensitive on either side, either to um, how the parent needs to change or 
the cost not only to the to the uh, parent of an estranged, but sometimes the cost to the adult child or to the children of the adult child, because grandparents uh, have their own kind of claims in in this whole mix. But the other part that I think is important to um, to talk about in this in this perspective is just the notion of choice. That one of the aspects of modernity is that everything becomes a choice who we choose to be with and that and parents in some ways are the final choice and choice gets very much tied up with our identity what kind of a person does this make me to either be in contact or not be in contact to fight with this person to not fight with them etc um, and i think that in many ways this preoccupation with individualism and choice weakens the fabric of families I mean, in the united states we have we're like the third least happy country in the world, even actually that's not true. I think we're the 28th, uh, ranked 28th in terms of child happiness, even though we have the third highest GDP. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have incredibly high rates of loneliness, particularly for elders. So I, I think we're paying a price for all of this focus on individual happiness. So that being said, um, you know, we're going through some especially turbulent changing times right now. What is what, what personally is making you feel optimistic right now? <laughs> you really you're hit me with the hard questions. Yeah. This <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'm a fan of history. And I think so, for example, the way I, I comfort myself during this pandemic is I'm thinking, well, you know, this isn't cholera. Um, <laughs> this isn't the plague. Um, this isn't Germany in 1930. Mm-hmm. In terms of the U.S. political situation, this isn't Germany in 1933. Um, um, so, um, from the, so politically, uh, pandemically, things that I, I reassure myself is by thinking about the ways that it's always been worse and things have have changed. So um, that's kind of how I think about it. Thank you very much, Dr. Coleman, for your time. Oh, thank you. It was lovely to talk to you. It was lovely talking to you too. For more about this episode, go to lifespeak.com slash podcast.